takes more than great code to be a great engineer. Welcome to episode 36 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I am your best friend and your host, Jameson Dance. I am your second best friend and host, Dave Smith. <laughs> it's like the friend that you invite to most of the things. <laughs> no, I, maybe I'm not your second best then. <laughs> maybe I'm your 10th best. Uh, you're my first best. Um, we actually have a listener comment. Do you want to read that, Dave? Yeah, this comes from listener Stephen, and he says, Hello, and thanks for letting me listen. To which I say, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, you don't have to ask permission. <laughs> anyway. Well, the files are hosted on Dave's server, so maybe you do need to ask him permission. <laughs> I, he says, I just had a couple comments on avoiding the avoidance problem that you guys talked about the last podcast. I feel like if I try to plan my day out really well, that I am more forced to do the tasks during the time I've allocated. For example, my eight-hour day allows the structure of two hours of work, 15-minute break, two more hours of work, then lunch, two more hours of work, 15-minute break, then two more hours until the end of the day. I feel that when I allocate that time to myself, it really puts me on the spot to work on whatever needs to get done during that time. So there you go. There's a little avoidance avoidance technique from our listener, Stephen. Sure. Just adding a lot of structure. Yeah, very structured. Which, again, that fits into that category of things, which is like, if your boss made you do that, you would um, write angry posts about them on social <laughs> media. But doing it to yourself feels like responsible and, and motivating. Cool. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, thank you. Uh, this episode is also sponsored by Dev Mountain, the coding boot camp. We will hear more about them later. Thank you, Dev Mountain. Yes, thank you. Um, I did get the the second Ferrari that they stiffed <laughs> me on, so the accounts are settled. Let's go to our first question. Do you want to read it, Dave? Sure. This comes from listener Michael J, and he's asking about unlimited PTO. PTO is an acronym that stands for paid time off. And or partial pterodactyl <laughs> overflow. Do you know what pterodactyl starts with, Jameson? No. <laughs> well, no, it's a, okay. It's just pterodactyl overflow then. <laughs> yeah, pterodactyl. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Because <laughs> isn't it PT for pterodactyl? I, I think pterodactyl. Oh, yeah. The first two letters are PT. You got it. Yeah. That, that would be lowercase t. <laughs> yeah. That, well, maybe. <laughs> Depends we, on how, how loose you are with your acronym requirements. We apologize to all of our paleontologists <laughs> who are listening. <laughs> Okay, so Michael writes, I have considered several jobs that offer unlimited PTO, but I have reservations. I like the idea that I could take longer vacations, but I also wonder if that type of break would be frowned upon or deemed as taking advantage of the situation. So, unlimited PTO. Where did this idea come from? Did it come from that Netflix deck about uh, the that, culture? That Netflix culture deck? Uh, that is a good Could, question. Because it's kind of like a meme now in tech companies. Mm -hmm. It's it's like the default, I feel like. It's like the culture Bible? Yeah. Well, well, no, not the Netflix thing specifically, oh, just oh, the pay time off thing. It feels okay. like the default policy for a tech company. Well, probably in small, nimble, hip startups, right? Yeah, yeah. I've um, actually only ever worked as a full-time employee of companies with paid, with unlimited paid time off. Oh, really? Yep. Interesting. So you have no idea what it's like to accrue vacation and sick time. 
And just that hope. will certainly not stop me from having strong opinions about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> so I have worked five years in an unlimited PTO environment and about 10 years in a, a, like a traditional vacation accrual environment. I work now in an unlimited unpaid time off environment <laughs> <laughs> where if I am not working, then it turns out no one will pay me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> unlimited unpaid. Yep. Uh, so, well, what do you think? You, I mean, so Jameson and I are going to disagree on this one a lot, I think. But personally, from my experience at the company where I did unlimited PTO, I loved it. I loved it. Because it meant you just never had to work, right? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't go to work for five years. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Unlimited. Eh? I found the loophole in your little plan. <laughs> my my company's policy actually was that they had no vacation policy. Like that was officially written in. It's like or not written in was that there is no vacation policy, and which of course means effectively unlimited PTO. Um, no one, I don't think anyone that I was directly familiar with ever abused the system so badly that it came back to bite them. But, um, I do know, I did notice that there was quite a bit of variability between, uh, some people's vacation time and others. You know? Of course, I noticed that even at the traditional accrual places as well. Sure. You know, some people just like to bank the vacation and some people like to take it. I mean, so. It- you you liked it because of the freedom and the flexibility, right? Yeah. There's not well bureaucracy you have to go through. You just kind of talk to people and well, take no, your time off. No, that's not the reason. Em- empirically speaking, I took more vacation, like per unit time at uh, my unlimited PTO place. Um, I took a lot of vacation. Like, you know, I, I don't know if I... Did you ever count it up? Yeah, I was trying to think if I've actually, ever actually tallied it up. But all I know is I looked back and I went, holy cow, I took a lot more vacation now than I did when I was working at a traditional vacation accrual place. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could put a number on it, but it definitely felt like I was taking more. Maybe <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the secret. <laughs> that's the secret. Everyone thinks they're taking more when they feel guilty for taking vacation. <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe I'll talk about two experiences I had. I worked at one company, unlimited paid time off, and I hardly ever took any vacation. And that was kind of just the culture there. People there didn't take a lot of vacation. The The leadership didn't take a ton of vacation. And that, to me, gets to the problem of unlimited paid time off. It's all implicit. If they say unlimited, you kind of just look at your surroundings to see what the cultural norms are. Like, it takes an explicit thing, which is you get this many days of vacation, and it takes away the explicitness, and then you just have to intuit it based on context. And there's some number where if you take more than that, people are going to be mad at you. But now you don't mm-hmm. know what that number is anymore because yep. it's gone. So in 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 this job, that I don't I don't I mean I never pushed it, so I guess I don't know what the number was. But the the expectation set by the behavior of my managers and and leaders was you just kind of work a lot and don't take a lot of vacation. And it, it's super chill when you do, like you just say, hey, I'm going on vacation and it's fine. No one was mad or anything, but that just didn't happen very much. Hmm. Whereas if you had an explicit number of like two weeks or three weeks of vacation or whatever, then you just know, you don't have to worry about like, are people going to be mad at me? Is this going to cause any problems? It's just like, this is the policy so I can do it. Um, at my last full-time job at, at Kowali, 
the vacation policy was also unlimited paid time off. But the CEO actually was um, was a good example of actually using that vacation. Well, mm-hmm. he was horrible because while he was on vacation, he worked <laughs> <laughs> pretty much nonstop. But at least but, he said he was taking vacation. <laughs> but he did go on. Yeah, we, we gave him a lot of crap for that. But <laughs> he, he did go on vacation a lot. He went on like a three-week-long trip with his family in the summer and stuff. So in that case, um, people took more vacation in general because even though the policy was the same, the implicit culture around it encouraged it a little more. Yeah. So I, I think it it can be good and bad and done poorly. It can create this weird negative feeling of pressure to not take vacation. Yeah. Like at the first company I talked about, I felt a lot of pressure to not let my teammates down and mm-hmm. not kind of leave them in the lurch. Mm-hmm. And, and if I just bounced, I felt like I was leaving them in the lurch. So yeah, I, I don't love it the most. Again, I haven't worked at a place with explicit vacation policies, though, so maybe I'm just wrong. I mean, it, it seems like you could do that in a horrible way, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like even if you are accruing vacation on a traditional schedule, you could still have a culture that discourages people taking vacation, right? Yeah, that's very true. But at least they have to pay you for it. Yeah, right? and that that's an important point that I think some people fail to realize at interview time when they're considering taking a job with unlimited PTO. Oh, yeah, they that, do not pay you. <laughs> that's right. When you quit... You will not get a check for your unspent vacation time. Because you could be like, hey, I want my unlimited PTO check. <laughs> yeah. It, the infinite so, dollars. <laughs> this is probably a good question to ask either way, but you should try and feel out, okay, here's the vacation policy. What do people actually do? Like how many weeks of vacation did you take last year? Because if it's unlimited paid time off, but no one uses it, that's very different than unlimited, but people actually use it a lot. Yeah, exactly. And I I think a good question to ask during the interview process is to ask each person you meet, do you take more vacation or less vacation than your previous job? And then Mm -hmm. ask them if their previous job had an explicit vacation policy and just see. And that'll tell you a lot, I think. Yeah. I mean, back to the implicit versus explicit thing. I think implicit things in general can be more prone to abuse by bad actors, either people that abuse the unlimited vacation policy to take a lot of vacation or like weird pressure to not take vacation. At least if there's an explicit vacation policy, you can kind of point to that to back up your, your, I don't know, your idea when you want to take vacation. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are definitely trade-offs either way, but you, you should know what, what the facts on the ground are about the vacation yeah. policy. If the yeah. policy is like a big shrug, like, oh, I don't know, we're super loose and hip here. There's, there's something behind that and you yeah. should find that out. Definitely. Um, I th- I'm, I'm having this thought and I don't know if it's real. So you tell me, Jameson, but I wonder if people who struggle with ambiguity would also struggle in an unlimited PTO situation. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. And you are smart. So you said it explicitly. Yeah, <laughs> I put it explicit versus implicit. There I think is. you're totally right. Um, and I think everyone would struggle with the policy if there's a bad culture about it, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, but even if there's a good culture, you might still struggle if you're not the kind of person who thrives in ambiguity. Yeah, if you're if you're worried about job performance or kind of it making a good impression, or I don't know, I could just see it being tricky if 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 things are not magically amazing all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all I had to say about it. I had a great experience with it. And my favorite part was that uh, about two months after I got hired at my last job, 
we had a baby and I needed it to take some time off. And I was super worried that I wouldn't be able to do that. But because there was no accrual rate, I just took the time. And yeah. uh, it was great. Like, no problem. I didn't have to, like, go into negative sick time or whatever, <laughs> which I have done at other jobs. <laughs> you yeah. had to donate blood to the company to make it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, That's so cool. So that was great. So there's definitely upside to it. Because it's the only policy i've experienced it's literally both the best and the worst vacation policy i've ever seen so that's all i got there you go best and worst question answered question answered <laughs> all right i uh, i will read the next question okay this is from listener hugo how do you enforce coding best practices i'm growing frustrated fighting for more readability in the code separation of concerns less if else's etc when i feel like my team doesn't care or doesn't think it's as important as i do how do I defend software best practices if my team hasn't read books about it or thinks those ideas are only fluffy? How do you, this is like the classic question of how do I influence my team to do something if they don't think it's a good idea? Yeah. And I'm not like in charge of directing the team. You know? Attack ads <laughs> about the code. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was, I've heard about that done for real. Like, uh, oh, what was it? I think I was listening to an interview with a, a very experienced developer who was talking about how uh, someone on their team would write like weekly emails um, that highlighted some particularly bad code. <laughs> and one time it was his and he just felt like crawling under a rock. <laughs> it was just terrible oh, no. experience. Um and I think they, they discontinued that practice eventually, but <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's not how to do it, I think. <laughs> but I'm just, I just have this vision in my head of like hilarious, I don't know, voiceovers with dour music behind them and like 15 nested if else statements for the leading <laughs> cause of bugs in this code. I don't know. I, like a political, do like a political ad. Yeah. Political attack <laughs> ad. Yep. But about the ternary operator. <laughs> Uh, I would say that if you're asking for this, you really need to understand why you're asking for it um, and have like some real solid evidence behind it. You know, if you can point to production bugs, for example, that these coding practices would have prevented, that speaks volumes over, hey, I think it would be easier for me to read this code if it was formatted this way. Yeah, that's a that's a huge point that you want to be super careful. You're not conflating your preferences with best practices. I know that in past times in my life, I have been guilty of this. I just read a blog post that seems really cool and makes a strong argument. And then I'm like, I want to be smart. I want to have an opinion. <laughs> and then I just go find a thing that doesn't match that blog post in our code base. I'm like, this is garbage. It's broken. <laughs> and like, then that adds to my power somehow <laughs> <laughs> the next day you come I'm, in and you're literally one inch taller yeah <laughs> uh i'm not saying you're doing that at all but but it can be tempting to say like i don't like it therefore it's bad mm -hmm. but you want to make sure it actually is bad writing code is so elusive because i i myself will look at the code that i wrote even just a year ago and code that I thought at the time was written really well and just think, this is garbage. 
You see, that's how I know I'm a better developer than you. Because when at the time I write code, I'm like, this is garbage. I'm a year ahead of you. <laughs> it takes me a full year to come to the same conclusion that you come to in mere seconds. Yep. <laughs> oh. Uh, so how do you, well, do we want to get into discovering if something is an actual best practice? Or do we want to just assume that there's some set of those? Um... Oh boy. I mean, well, I think you hit it on the head if you when you said if you have data like you can point to production outages that this would have solved. Mm-hmm. A lot of that can be around operational stuff or testing of some kind or like patterns in code that cause it to be less readable mm-hmm. so it's easier mm-hmm. to slip bugs in or something, but some kind of data point either from experience or or stories or something you just make up i guess oh yeah well and, and it this this will depend a little bit about on your environment like when i was writing a lot of c++ code there were very clear guidelines like a big one was uninitialized variables you declare a variable you don't put a value in it the value is going to be just some random crap like it's if it's an integer it doesn't default to zero it defaults to whatever was on the stack before you got there and mm-hmm. that led to all kinds of runtime bugs and it was like okay you know, even the compiler would warn you about that stuff. And so, like, in those cases, basically the crappier your language is, the more imperative it is that you do these things. And the easier <laughs> the, the easier it is for you to find examples of these things gone wrong, you know? And, and I think no C++ developer on Earth would argue that those aren't valuable uh, things to, to fix, you know? Yeah. And, um, and yet... You know, we have, we take this argument all the way from like the very basics of this is going to cause a crash to I don't like my curly braces on this line, you know, on the same line with the if statement. And somewhere between those two things, there's a point where you should stop, (laughs) stop enforcing the practice, right? Yep. You were, you were, you're saying that, you know, maybe we assume that you've, these practices are are right and, and, or rather that you've already settled on them and that the ones you've settled on are actually correct. (laughs) You know, like it's a pretty big assumption. Yeah, I I think if you feel incredibly strongly about best practices and you have a giant list, it's probably valuable to pare that down a little bit if there's this much resistance to it, to kind of the Mm -hmm. core things that you think will be the easiest to adopt and add the most value instead of just like, we have to rewrite every single file to fit this giant long list of things. So making it incrementally adoptable is, is a big part of it. Yeah. That's a big part. Although that can be hard. Um, like I'll give you an example of when I started my last job about five years ago. We had, uh, it was Python, and we had about 9,000 PyLint errors. That's the uh, one of the linters that you can use on Python code. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, why do we even have this? You know, it's like 9,000 errors. This tells me yeah. nothing, right? Um, and I, I remember I took a week like literally a week i was i actually okay this is going to make me sound really stupid especially in light of our last conversation (laughs) (laughs) but i took a week um uh away from work and just in my off time i would just kind of chill out turn on some music and crank through some of these errors and fix them and also change the rules to be you know to throw away the the ones that were just too too pedantic and over the course of that week, I got them all eliminated, got us down to zero, and then we could actually put in place a zero tolerance policy where we could say, look, you can't commit code that has a linter error. And and at that point, we could be pretty productive, but until that point, it was just so hard to even see any value through all that noise. That's a very concrete benefit of the unlimited paid time off policy. <laughs> 
It fixed all your linting errors. <laughs> that was unlimited paid time on. <laughs> now we know why you took so much vacation. You were secretly <laughs> rewriting parts of the stack. Yeah, it's like paid time refactoring. <laughs> yeah. So at Kuali, I worked with a, a guy who was very experienced, had led a lot of teams, had run a bunch of different projects, and he came in to, to lead this new team at Kuali and just put his foot down and was like, this team has 100% test coverage on everything we do, no matter what. And there were a bunch of us that were like, but all this stuff about why it's not effective and it doesn't truly make your software better. And like, we had all these arguments about it and he was like, I don't care. In a very nice way. He's, he's a very nice man, but he was like, <laughs> so he didn't actually, he didn't like, actually groan. <laughs> no, no. He was like, I've done this on several projects. It allowed us to move way faster. You guys have some, uh, performance issues <laughs> that, that I have not seen in projects that did this. And he had just this, he had this wealth of experience to fall back on to back his idea of best practices up. Um, and, it actually ended up a couple of people that were against the idea ended up working on that team with him and came away totally convinced of it. So wow. if, if you have strong data like that, well, strong anic data, I guess, <laughs> where you can say, I, I have done this and it totally worked and it's the solution to a problem you're having right now, that can be really powerful. Strong data or at least a really compelling storyline. Yeah, and just uh, <laughs> you're a good storyteller. <laughs> yeah. Along those lines, though, you know, people like this uh, developer that you're talking about, he has probably had this conversation a dozen times in his career about yeah. which practices are, are the ones we should enforce, you know? And mm -hmm. so I think you need to be careful when you approach this situation, especially if you're really junior and you're like, hey, I read this blog and it's got all these revolutionary ideas for coding best practices, you know? And this other developer might be on your team going, look, I've had this conversation 10 times, <laughs> you know, and it's like all these yeah. ideas that you think are revolutionary. We've talked them all through. I've tried them. Some of them work. Many of them don't, you know, and it's like you need to be aware of that. And I think the best thing you can do on your team in this situation for this listener is to talk to the other developers and understand why they're opposed to the ideas, you know, and, and maybe they have valid reasons. Maybe they don't, but you need to know, I think, because as you approach how you're going to pitch this idea, knowing that will help inform how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is hard to do as a more junior member of the team. I think you're right. It mm -hmm. definitely helps if you have some kind of respect or leadership on the team, because it's a lot easier to just say like, trust me, and then people will trust you. Cause that's, that's basically what you're saying, right? There's, yeah. there's so much intuition and software is so fuzzy right people mm -hmm. will quote these random things that they think are facts that are just totally made up or totally specific to <laughs> someone else's company or code yep. base yep. like everyone can find anything that convinces them of the thing that they think is true so at some point you just have to like count on people thinking that your ideas are good yep that's a very depressing way to think about it now that I it, said that. <laughs> it is, but one of the things that I love doing is putting in place some kind of measurement so that you can have a before and after, you know? Like, in, for example, in the case of the C++ uninitialized variable thing, like, it was a no-brainer. Our, our uninitialized variable bugs went to zero when we started initializing all of our variables. Now, yeah. Did we solve all bugs? No, but we certainly reduced that class of bug to nothing. 
Um, and maybe we just traded them for new kinds of bugs, but <laughs> at least, you know, hopefully you have the ability to look at your code six months after you implement these practices and then decide whether things are better. And <laughs> you just initialize all the variables to this like random memory <laughs> address. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> we never have uninitialized variable bugs. <laughs> now we have some seg faults though. <laughs> I've also found teams to be more receptive to ideas like this if they see that there's a path to evaluate whether it's good, you know, in, in the future. And they can see that this is like a pilot and it's like, hey, we're going to learn together. And together, if we can see that it's not helping, then we'll throw it out. You know, like it's really easy to throw out best practices, a lot easier than adopting them. Yeah, it's yeah. The culture of the team is so important to this because any team can make any best practice fail <laughs> <laughs> That's if, true. if they want it to, right? If they oh, have decided it sucks, then it <laughs> is going to suck. Um, so you, th there is a lot of kind of empathy and understanding and working with the team to make them open to the idea that there are things they can do to improve their lives and kind of add some hope. If they're just in despair about everything and there's a lot of cynicism and everything sucks and it's the worst, then you're going to have a tricky time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in that case, you should invoke the old soft skills engineering <laughs> standby rule. Quit your job and find a better one. Yep. <laughs> cool. Well, has the question been answered? I believe the question has been answered, sir. You are welcome. That's a good question. And it I would is. love to know how it goes. Yeah, please let us know. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> James, can people... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, that was a question collision. Yeah, you go first. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what can people do if they want to find out more about movies playing in their area? Oh, there's probably some apps for that. <laughs> well, we'll add a section to our website on that. If they want to find out more about the podcast, they can go to softskills.audio. We have a bunch of past episodes there. We might have comments soon. Someone added a pull request to our website oh, yeah. to add in comments. Dude, thank shout you. out. Yeah, thank you, kind stranger. Shout out. Um, the magic of the internet. I was going to look up the name here. Great conversation on Twitter where we were saying, wouldn't it be great if we had comments so listeners could, could talk to each other about each show? And this one internet stranger named Vermilion One submits a pull request to add comments to our website. Totally awesome. Uh, speaking of Twitter, you can follow us on SoftSkillsENG. That is also a place you can go to submit questions or just kind of yell at us. There's also a form on the website where you can submit a question if you're not on Twitter or you just want to give a bunch more detail. And there are probably other things that I'm forgetting. Um, you can spin the wheel of fish on our website. What? <laughs> That's a pull request that hasn't come in yet. Like a wheel made out of fish? Yeah, like it's got different kinds of fish on the wheel and you spin it. That's a, <laughs> to what end <laughs> that's a movie reference actually and if you don't know it then we'll have to we'll have to talk later okay cool well <laughs> i'll i'll find out what that is i guess <laughs> and thank you again to dev mountain for sponsoring you can go to softskills.audio slash dev mountain to show that you both love us and are interested in them that would be great all right we'll catch you next week bye-bye